the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Indeed it is, and hour number two is now underway at 9 minutes past 10 o'clock on this Tuesday. It is the 14th morning of the fifth month of the year of our Lord, 2019. Really, really important and good conversation about Sharia Tlaib and Ilan Omar in hour number one. We're going to shift gears a little bit. I may ask Pete a little bit about that, too, but we're going to shift gears into presidential politics as well as we welcome Peter Kersenau back to our program. Peter, of course, is a Cleveland attorney. He is a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. He is a best-selling author, and most importantly, perhaps, he is the fill-in host, the primary fill-in host of the Bob France Authority on AM 1420, The Answer. Pete, I don't know how you find time to do it all, my brother, but I'm glad you do. How are you? Well, I didn't sleep at all last night. That's one of the ways I get it done. But hey, I'm excited because there's only 117 days before the Browns season opener and only 125 days before the Monday night opener. Um, you know, we got to look forward to it because right now the Indians are scuffling. Now, they've been able in the last several years to perform some, you know, magic with respect to the uh, trading deadline, you know, picking up some good people, but they've got some serious deficits here that I'm not sure can be remedied by making some trades before the trading deadline. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm kind of not talking about them for a little while, Pete, because it's better for my sanity. But what I want to know <laughs> is why you're not counting down to the first day of the AFC playoffs. Now, you used to do that for the Cavaliers, and really I think you would do the finals because they were pretty much a lock to go for, yeah. for that run of, uh, run of time. But I feel like it, it's, it might be worthwhile to, to so we're going to break the drought. We're going to end the drought since what was it? 2003 was the last playoff appearance. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it's gonna it's gonna end this year. I mean, I think it's time for some forward thinking. What about what? About yeah, you? I think it will end this year. Um, I think that we'll at least get into the playoffs. I'm trying to be somewhat conservative and modest in my predictions with respect to the Browns. Although I've not been this excited in 
almost 30 years, let's face it, in terms of their <laughs> yeah. playoff prospects. So, I mean, realistically, it's, it's, you have to go back to the old Bernie Kosar days, and the last time we really had a championship, or I'm sorry, a playoff team was during the Belichick era when we played New England. I was at that game. Um, but, you know, it, it's been a long time, Bob. Yeah, no question about it, Pete. All right, let's um, let's dive into uh, a, a number of these issues, Pete. Before we get into uh, presidential politics, and I do want to talk about the insanity that we continue to hear from some of those on the uh, on the left who are going to be running against President Trump. Do you have any thoughts you want to share? We talked last week, you and I did about Rashida Tlaib. I call her Sharia Tlaib, Sharia Tlaib, and Ilhan Omar, and uh, you know the the representation that they have in the United States Congress. I don't think they're representing their constituents. I don't think they're representing the United States. I think they're representing their uh, uh, their their religion and um, their their belief in in you know Palestinian uh, a Palestinian state that should be in place uh, of Israel. Uh, but what about her comments this week, in which actually over the weekend, in which she des- uh, described her feelings about the Holocaust? When she thinks of the Holocaust, she gets calming feelings, and that's because of what she says was Palestinian aid to Jews after the Holocaust, giving them safe haven. Now, historically, I think you know, and anybody else who studies this stuff knows, that's just a flat-out lie because the Palestinian forces back then actually were some of the biggest boosters of the of the Nazi regime, but that's what she said. Uh, Republicans criticized that, and now Nancy Pelosi and others are criticizing Republicans for daring to call out Rashida Tlaib for her uh, for anti-Semitic um, comments. I think it's important uh, that we recognize how insidious the co- comments of Tlaib, of Omar, and let's face it, even AOC has weighed in on these issues from time to time, where she's completely historically ignorant. But when I say insidious, it's because I actually believe that Tlaib and Omar know better. And I do think that they are trying to spread falsehoods uh, very surreptitiously, because they know that the media won't call out them out on it. They get cover because they are uh, women of color and because, you know, they are the, the flavor of the month as far as identity politics is concerned in Congress. And to the Congress's shame, to Democrats' shame, they haven't called them out on this. And as you know, we talked about this, Bob. I actually proposed a resolution before the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights. I mean, we are charged. The commission is charged, supposedly, you know, it used to be called the conscience of the country. And we're charged with monitoring these things specifically. Congress has a number of things on its agenda. The commission has one thing, and it has to do with civil rights. And when Omar, uh, a while back, came out with palpably anti-Semitic comments, I proposed a resolution condemning those remarks, uh, as well as any such remarks. And of course, the liberals on the commission watered it down, removed her name till it was virtually nothing, except they did make a provision for condemning white supremacy. Uh, so they turned that all around. But what's important about this is because, you know, anyone's read history understands that this is a very dangerous and slippery slope. It begins with a few comments here or there, and the next thing you know, uh, things get out of control. I'm not suggesting that's happening here. But I'm suggesting that in a country like the United States of America, that if we're out there constantly, I mean, every single day, Bob, you and I and the rest of your listening audience is constantly remonstrated by our betters, our elites, uh, whenever we say something, tweet something, post something on Facebook, which in almost every regard is anodyne and factual but it doesn't hew to their politically correct ideology. Uh, But when we get to true uh, comments related to anti-Semitism, it seems like all these folks are missing in action. That's very dangerous. As a number of people have observed, the Democratic Party is sliding very, very 
slowly into anti-Semitism. You know, they don't put this way. If they're not acting in an anti-Semitic fashion, they are tolerating the worst types of slurs and insinuations against Jews from their very members, and no one's calling them out on it. Uh, There should be leadership of the Democratic Party and elsewhere calling them out on it, but they don't do so, and they get cover from the media. Um, uh, Someone in responsibility, I know Donald Trump has done it, and and some Republicans have done it to condemn him, but nobody gives the the Republicans any credit or attention on this. But, uh, you know, I'd say to anyone who's interested in making sure that uh, anti-Semitism doesn't spread, and that the United States of America is the United States of America. We don't go for this kind of stuff. Uh, that in your private discussions, in your public discussions, call this out. This can't be tolerated at all. Peter Gerson now joining us on AM 1420, The Answer, with some terrific analysis. Very well said. Pete, let's move on to some of the others that we cannot tolerate. I want to play a clip for you when we talk about the long, long list of um, uh, candidates. It grew by one. The Montana governor, by the way, is now in the race. And yesterday, Bill de Blasio held a ridiculous uh, event at uh, one of the Trump uh, Tower plazas, one of the Trump hotels yesterday. Uh, to call for a New York Green New Deal, which means he is on his way in himself uh, to this race. So I think we're up to 24 now, it would be with him, or maybe that's 25. Um, one of the leaders, however, <clears throat> of this... Um, uh, of this uh, Democratic cesspool of candidates is Bernie Sanders, who was asked on Sunday about his Medicare for All plans. And I would like you to listen to what he had to say uh, about that. And we can't hear it. Here we go. I mean, you're talking about Medicare for All. Uh, you're in the second largest insurance capital in the country here in Des Moines. And a lot of people, there are people who would like to keep their private insurance. Um, is that possible under that plan? No, I think right now what we should appreciate... First of all, just he said no. Just make sure right. he didn't slip that in quickly as he tries to move into his point here. He said no, you cannot keep your private insurance plan. Here's more. Is that every year many, many millions of people lose their health insurance because they uh, leave their jobs uh, or because their um, employer changes their insurance policies. I think what most Americans feel is that Medicare currently, which applies to people 65 years of age or older, is a very strong program. It is a popular program. There is no reason why we should continue to pay twice as much per capita for health care than do the people of any other nation, and yet have so many people uninsured or underinsured with high deductibles and co-payments. So I believe that if we want to cover, provide health care to all in a cost-effective way, if we want to lower the outrageous price of prescription drugs in this country, the way to go is Medicare for all. And, and what you hear people asking is, how do we pay for that? Well, we're paying for it right now. We're spending twice as much per capita on health care as do the people of any other country. And in many ways, our health care outcomes are not as good. So we're paying for it. What our bill does, and sometimes, uh, you know, we're, we're up against the insurance companies and the drug companies who are going to spend tens of millions of dollars trying to defeat us. But what people should understand is that what Medicare for All does is it eliminates your private health insurance premiums. You're not going to be paying that. You're not going to be paying co-payments. You're not going to be paying uh, deductibles. You're going to be seeing your uh, prescription drug cost, in my view, come down by 50%. Will you be paying more in taxes? Yes, you will. <laughs> so just here's the, the, the beginning and the end is all I needed to hear, Peter Kirsten. Yeah. One, you cannot 
You must give up and surrender your private health insurance. It will no longer exist. And number two, your taxes are going to go up because you have to pay for everybody else in America, legal or illegal, to have health care through Medicare for all. Pete, go ahead. Uh, That's sheer insanity. But by the way, Bob, I thought passing Obamacare was supposed to solve all these things. How did it happen? How did this, everything that he just talked about, Obamacare was supposed to solve, high premiums, high deductibles, all that stuff was going down, everybody was going to get covered, all these things were going to be wonderful under Obamacare, they promised these things, and now it's still not done? I mean, at some point, at some point, you have to stop digging. You know, the first rule of holes is stop digging. And these guys keep digging into pits of insanity. First of all, as you just played there, it's not just Sanders, but now several Democratic candidates have come out. Kamala Harris was the first one. I think she did it because she got blindsided. Not didn't get blindsided. I don't think she was prepared. She has the constant deer-in-the-headlights look when hit with a question that almost any layperson could answer, let alone somebody who's running for president. But she was asked, and she said that um, you're not going to be able to keep your private health insurance. You know, these people are laying these little landmines out here. They're going to blow up on themselves pretty soon when it comes to the general election. They can say these loony things in the Democratic primary. They're not going to work with Donald Trump. So Sanders is saying the same thing. And not only that, but you have several presidential candidates such as Kamala Harris again. And Biden most recently came out and said, illegal aliens, he said, illegal aliens, we have an obligation, a duty to provide free health care to them. I mean, this is, uh, this is, again, I keep saying insanity, but we sit there with our mouths agape, but these people are actually running for the presidency of the United States. And we have a media that's complicit, will not, you know, assess this, cover this at all, and simply, it's like nothing to see here, move along. Obamacare, um, the elimination of private health insurance, coverage of illegals, open borders, there's no way this can be sustained they are outbidding themselves for the title of most lunatic person to ever run for the presidency of the United States. You now have two dozen of them who are constantly bidding. And I think, you know, again, unless a couple of things happen, unless there's some you know, tremendous dislocation, some kind of economic dislocation, maybe due to tariffs or who knows, I doubt that's going to happen. But if there's some war, Donald Trump is going to coast to a victory here. You know, it's, it's a long way away, as they say, you know, a, a week is a lifetime time in politics, but these people are digging holes like nobody's business. Bottom line is, when you hear anybody, like Sanders, pretty much saying that you're going to have all these great things, okay, your taxes will go up. What he's saying is, we're going to turn into a socialist country. It's not going to be a function of taxes going up. It's going to be a, a function of the government controlling the means of production, not just with health care, but in every other economic sphere so that we can finance health care, which is going to have all the bells and whistles of something like a uh, Venezuelan health care system or even a Great Britain health care system. Pete, super quick here, but one final point on this, and then we'll come back and talk more. But um, he doesn't even address the fact that how many seniors have been paying into Medicare for their entire lives, waiting for that benefit to cash in when they turn 65, and then everybody else who hasn't even paid a dime into it is suddenly right. going to have access to it. They're going to have to wait in line for their health care. They're going to have to wait in line with everybody else uh, to, to get this, you know, for the same doctors, the same facilities, the same tests, the same surgery, same procedures, and so on and so forth. They've been paying into this into their into, into their entire excuse me into it for their entire lives, and there's no consideration for them whatsoever. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it's not just um, certain people in, who are lawfully present in the United States who haven't paid in like they have, but now they're saying, okay, people who have broken the laws of this country have never paid taxes into any system, uh, at least in the United States, are entitled to free health care provided by us. You know, if you've been working for 30, 40 years, every single day you've been paying your taxes, doing everything you're expected to do as a citizen of the United States of America, and then somebody breaks the law, comes into the United States of America, now you have a duty. That's what Biden said. He said we have a duty, an obligation to provide health care to these individuals. Some of us out there, you know, I suspect people in your listening audience will say, okay, if there's an illegal that comes into this country and through no fault of their own, a kid or a child has an emergency, okay, we're going to provide health care. We do that already, okay? But to say that somebody is going to be provided health care, that they can go to a doctor to check out their tonsils or so, whatever it may be, we have an obligation to take care of them. That is, first of all, it's insane. Second of all, it's a rebuke to the notion of patriotism. And it's about time we pushed back on this hard. It is, it, you're not allowed to say this if you're on the right, okay, because the left constantly uh, lectures us about this. But it's un-American in the truest sense. It is un-American when you have foreigners being taken care of after they've broken the law right. by U.S. citizens. Pete, I could not agree more, my friend. Got to get out here. We'll come right back with Peter Kirsten now on AM 1420, The Answer. It's 1027. We continue with Peter Kersenow on AM 1420, The Answer. Pete, I played you a little bit from uh, uh, Bernie Sanders moments ago. I want to give you a little clip here of Cory Booker, Spartacus himself, and uh, and, and we're going to tie this a little bit to Kamala Harris as well uh, about a different issue, just since we're on this subject of these um, uh, Democratic cesspool of candidates. Here you go, Pete. Uh, Peter Kersenow, where are you, Cory? Right, here we go, Spartacus. And we need as, as a society to take a serious look at uh, if we're going to progress and achieve the promises of democracy uh, uh, that we seem to, uh, to believe in so, uh, and consider so precious in, in, in the country. Would you ban guns? Uh, I am uh, very uh, much one that is against uh, handguns. Uh, and I know in my urban uh, environment, uh, I see little to no need for uh, guns uh, at all. <laughs> um, and I think that the, the availability of guns uh, and uh, the ease with which uh, even young people can get their hands on them is, is just horrendous. And I would if, uh, if I had the power to do so. I would. In fact, we're even looking towards me. If I had the power to do so, I would ban handguns because in urban environments, Pete, I see little to no need for them. Oh, my Lord. And then Kamala Harris, yeah. by the way, also said uh, similarly, not exactly the same, but she said she will use, if she is president, executive or a power, if Congress doesn't do it, to ban the private sale of guns from one citizen to another. Go ahead. She's, uh, she pretends to be a lawyer, I think, uh, but skip the class on the Second Amendment. Uh, she can't do that. <laughs> but here's what I say to Cory Booker. I'm sure some of your listeners would say the same thing. Um, couple things. One, Molon Lobby. Come and get them. There's no way in the United States of America with, we don't even know how many private guns there are. Uh, some say 300 million. I think it's well north of that. Um, almost everybody I know has a handgun. I live in Cleveland in an urban setting, and you better believe I will not live in an urban setting without a handgun. It's my most reliable form of protection. And 
I wonder if he says well, he, he says doesn't know of anybody no who needs a handgun in there. And I wonder if uh, his friend uh, uh, T-Bone mm. owns a handgun. He should check with <laughs> T-Bone. This, this is really, again, the oh, pervading T-Bone. insanity among Democrats. They're trying to outbid one another. It's, it's a non-starter. It's not going to happen. But what it does is it gives them their liberal uh, bona fides. And they're hopeful that this will get them out of the primary with, you know, getting out of that Democratic clown car. But the problem for them is that a general election comes up. And at some point, if you say, I'm going to ban handguns with an executive order, I don't think we should have handguns, I'm opposed to these things, there's a solid 43% of the American population you have just written off there. It's, you're never going to get them. You know, aside from those who believe in the right to bear arms, those who believe in not having insanity at the top of the government are not going to vote for you. There's no way in the world after Spartacus, you know, distinguished himself at um, the Kavanaugh hearing after he's come up with imaginary friends. And then now he says he doesn't see way why a handgun would be necessary in an urban environment. I know, Bob, you've got very often you have folks from the CPPA or the FOP on. And these guys do their best to respond. You know, I live in the city of Cleveland. They've responded to my house on a couple of occasions. Mm-hmm. And, and they've been spectacular when they do. But it takes a while for them to respond. It really does. And when my kids were young, I was not going to take the risk of a difference of 15 seconds being the difference between whether or not, you know, I'm in good shape or not in good shape. So there's a reason why we have a Second Amendment, several reasons why I have a Second Amendment. And Cory Booker, tell you what, the people who enshrined the Second Amendment into the Constitution had a lot more brain cells working for them than you ever will. Well, you know, Pete, here's a good way to look at it, I think. Um, the reason the Second Amendment was written is because of people like Cory Booker, who Absolutely. says if he could, he would take he would take the guns away. And that's exactly why the founding fathers had the foresight to do this in the event that we have a tyrant who wants to disarm the population so that they can, uh, you know, again, rain tyranny down upon the, uh, the people. Uh, we're going to make sure the people can always defend themselves. That's exactly why. Cory Booker is the living embodiment of the reason the Second Amendment exists. Pete, uh, stay there. We'll come right back on AM 1420, The Answer. Fortune for us at 1037 this morning. Peter Kersenow is still here, giving us an extra segment. Uh, always love when he's able to do that. His schedule doesn't always accommodate, but uh, or a lot of that, I should say, but he accommodates us whenever he can. Pete, really do appreciate that. All right, so we uh, covered a lot of ground on the presidential candidates. Uh, I do want to give you one shot at Biden, though, before we move on, and I do want to ask you about the sex strike in the Hollywood uh, uh, movement <laughs> to try to uh, stop uh, the new abortion laws, the abortion restrictions in places like Ohio and Georgia by becoming chased all of a sudden which is just hilarious uh but i gotta ask you about biden biden continues to hit donald trump for quote-unquote scandals uh while repeating his his and pete it's a lie i guess it's the only thing i say repeating his lie that the 
Obama administration, he has such great fondness for President Obama because he had eight solid years of, of great leadership and work without a hint of scandal. And I gotta tell you, every time he says it, I just feel like listing the scandals, you know, and I, from, from Benghazi to the IRS to the, I, I mean, go up and down the fast, fast and furious. I mean, it's, it's a good page or a page and a half long if you really want to be serious about the number of scandals involved. And not to mention the ultimate scandal. The spying on a a presidential campaign by your Department of Justice and its FBI, and I have to believe with the willing approval of the President of the United States, Barack Obama, as he tried to give the election to Hillary Clinton. So um, your response to Mr. Biden. Well, I agree with you entirely, Bob. That was a pretty good summary. The fact of the matter is that, you know, um, oh, by the way, let me just say this. I very often say in my public speaking engagements, I, I ask the question, you know, if a tree falls in the forest, but nobody's there to hear it, does not make a sound? And if a scandal occurs, but the mainstream media doesn't report it, is it still a scandal? Yes, obviously it is. And as you just indicated, the greatest scandal in American political history is currently unraveling before our eyes. We have an attorney general who is, has a number of people looking into this. It will be revealed at some point. That's why you see so much hysteria for, from the Democrats. Uh, but Biden was in the middle of the greatest political scandal of our time. By the way, he may not have been aware of it because he's universally considered to be the dumbest senator that ever served, at least in the last 40 years in the Senate, and I was there to witness it. I mean, I, I was just astonished whenever I appeared before Senate Judiciary when he chaired it. Uh, he had no clue. He really did not. It was kind of embarrassing. You would feel sorry for him at some point if it wasn't so funny. Uh, I can go on and on and on about my experiences there. But think about this. Um, we... We hear names like Comey and McCabe and Brennan and Clapper. You and I and your listening audience knows, Bob, that there is no way in the world anyone would dare ever take action to spy on the presidential campaign of a rival party without the directive from the very top. Impossible. We hardly ever hear the name President Barack Obama mentioned because the media, acolytes, and the Democratic Party are making sure to protect their hero's honor on this thing, what honor there exists. But it, as was demonstrated in the text from Page to Struck in September of 2016, number one, that said the White House is running this. Number two, uh, the president wants to know everything we're up to. And then remember what Susan Rice did with respect to the CYA email that she sent at the conclusion of the presidency. She was referencing a meeting that had occurred about two weeks prior to that, in which you know, Obama supposedly said with respect to this investigation, everything by the book, you know, she puts into that email. Uh, Biden was present during that meeting. And it, it, even though he's not the smartest guy in the world, and maybe he was kept out of the loop on some things, it's clear he was involved or should have had knowledge of this. And the media needs to ask him. He's not running for the presidency of the United States. And he's the, the right now, the prohibitive leader. I don't know that that's going to be maintained for a long period of time. But right now, he's the front runner on the Democratic side, and they've got to ask about this because now we're seeing where the real scandal occurred. Did he abide by this? And where was he with respect to all of the other scandals of the Obama presidency, which are legion? You mentioned some of it. One of the, the biggest scandals of all time prior to Russiagate was the IRS one. Despite the fact that they didn't go anywhere, it doesn't mean that wasn't a profound scandal. It wasn't just the IRS. I had some tangential involvement with some of the individuals who were complaining about other federal agencies that were sicked upon them when they started to do things like form 501c3s for political activity on the conservative side. But you had the email server that we now find, and we all knew this, but now we have 
concrete evidence that the White House was aware of the fact that Hillary, um, you know, had deleted these emails. She maintained a private server because Obama was communicating with her on that private server. We've got spying on journalists. Supposedly, Trump is the greatest threat to the First Amendment in journalism. He hasn't done anything like what Obama did. Spying on journalists, you know, threatening to arrest them. Stunning stuff that was going on. And it went on and on. You mentioned Fast and Furious, but but, uh, Biden should have known about them. And if he didn't know, he is too stupid to hold any job, let alone the presidency of the United States. Pete, I, I think you're going to love this, and you probably already saw it this morning like I did. Uh, but I want to get your comments on it, because it's right up this alley. Uh, Attorney General Barr assigned U.S. Attorney John Durham, and I don't know if you know John right. Durham. You know a lot of uh, U.S. attorneys. I don't know uh, him personally, no. Okay. He is described, uh, at least by some sources, as a bulldog of a prosecutor, but also one that is very nonpartisan. He has worked under uh, Democratic and Republican leadership. Uh, he is not a partisan, but he has been assigned and apparently has been working on this review for weeks already. A person familiar with the process told Fox News he is examining the origins of the entire Russia investigation, going all the way back to the funding of the, the, uh, the Steele dossier. Um, what's your, I, I have to imagine that that news has just terrified Democrats and that's why they've been trying to tear uh, Bill Barr down because I think as Jim Jordan yeah. said, he's going to get to the bottom of it, which is why they want him impeached, removed, discredited somehow. But now they find out he's not just starting now. He started weeks ago and nobody knew it. Yeah, I, you know, this is scaring the heck. It's world, the Democratic Party. That's why you're seeing them, the insanity being ratcheted up. Uh, there, there's a pincer movement going on here. Not only do you have, you mentioned, um, you know, of course, that Barr has appointed Durham, and, and we've got, on the other hand, we've got the uh, IG's report is imminent sometime in the next month or so. That's going to come out. You've got Huber out in uh Utah, no one's been paying attention to him whatsoever. He's been working very quietly. A lot of people kind of written him off saying, well, he's not doing anything. But simply because you don't hear anything, which should be the case, by the way, simply because you don't hear anything doesn't mean something's not going on. You've got a Senate uh, Intelligence Committee looking at this. So there are a number of investigations going on, all of which should scare the heck out of the Democrats because... As we've known, everyone in your listening audience has known, who's listened to this show, as you know and many others know, the scandal from the very beginning was transparently false with respect to Russian collusion, but we saw mountains of evidence of scandal going in the opposite direction. It was just staring us in the face, and the media was focused on this little match burning in the corner, whereas behind them, a nuclear bomb was going off that they were completely ignoring. Uh, This is going to be uh, very significant. The media will do their best, because remember, for one of the few times in history, the media is so closely tied, it's like an umbilical cord. They've been perpetuating a false narrative in conjunction with Democrats for two and a half years. And now I think they've got to do their best to continue make believe as if all the scandals on the Republican side, because their very reputations, to the extent they haven't been completely tarnished already, really do depend on them being able to snow most of the republic, uh, the public and Look, many people want to be snowed. There's going to be a lot of folks, for partisan reasons, that don't want to accept. They want to hold on to any thread of an argument that, well, the the Democrats weren't up to anything nefarious. It was all on the Republican side. So uh, I think there's going to be um, a lot of reckoning going on in the next, who knows, I'm hopeful it's not going to be any more than a few months, but it probably will last for for a year or so. So um, they're scared for a reason. 
and we, um, I'm, you and I and the rest of us are just kind of sitting back. We knew that the reckoning was going to come. I think uh, we're going to witness it before the election occurs. Peter Kirsten, now with this, one last question for you, Pete, because it's just so funny. Um, <laughs> we have strengthened uh, the laws that protect life in the state of Ohio, and they did it down in the state of Georgia, as Brian Kemp, right before the weekend, signed the, the uh, Georgia heartbeat bill. Hollywood has responded by way and led by uh, Alyssa Milano, for whatever that's worth, not much, but Hollywood women have responded. Oh, yeah? Well, we're going to stop having sex with men. They're calling for a sex strike nationwide. If men are going to try to make laws about our body and what we can do when we get pregnant, then you're not allowed to touch our bodies. I just find it a little bit, I don't know, hysterical that in response to people trying to protect life, which would be a lot easier to do if there was less um, recreational and... um, Dis, uh, what's I don't know I don't, don't want to use the word destructive, but less recreational and let's say dangerous sexual activity, you probably wouldn't have as many unwanted pregnancies. Finally, the left gets it that perhaps being chased might be the actually the right thing to do here. I'm all for their uh, their sex strike. How about you? Yeah, I think put their foot in their mouth on that one. You know, they they don't realize what they're actually saying that it actually po- proves the point. But bottom line here is, you know, these guys are I, my goodness. You as you said, it's hilarious. Nobody takes them seriously. They've got an inflated view of their own importance. Um, and what's frightening about it is the things that are coming out of the mouths of the Lissa Milano's of the world are some of the same things coming out of elected representatives on the Democratic side. Uh, it's almost indistinguishable, and the uh, level of intelligence, level of morality assigned to them is almost indistinguishable. And people, I, you know, I, I think people take notice of that. I really do. Or at least they should take notice of it. Hey, Bob, one last thing. Yes, sir. Because I, I always forget to mention when I'm speaking somewhere. But Saturday I'll be speaking again to the Westlake 912 Project, um, 10 o'clock uh, at uh, Prince of Peace Lutheran Church. Come on out. Uh, we're going to have a good time. I'm going to be talking about some of the same things that Bob and I talk about. That's awesome, Pete. Where is that location again? It's uh, at the Prince of Peace Church, Lutheran Church. And I don't have the address there. I just know how to get there. Okay, got it. I just want to make sure, because I'll share that with people. I know you, they would love to come and see you. People absolutely love listening to you, and if they can see you in person, I know they would appreciate that, too. Pete, thanks for sharing. If you do get that address, send that to me so that I can uh, pass it along to the folks. Yeah, okay? well, thanks very much, Bob. 117 days, Bob, and I'll get the AFC uh, playoff beginning uh, countdown going. I'm counting on it. All <laughs> Thank right. you, Peter. Peter Kirsten, right. on AM 1420, The Answer. Just, there's nobody better. Uh, let's take this time out on AM 1420, The Answer. They've moved into final segment of the broadcast, which is why we bring you the final countdown right here. On AM fourteen twenty the answer. Mike Gallagher's coming up after we are done at eleven o'clock. After that, of course, you're gonna be entertained by the brilliant one, Dennis Prager. Then you're going to have the doctor, the good doctor, Dr. G, Dr. Sebastian Gorka. Then Jay Sekulow, then Larry Elder, and then as far as I'm concerned, um, I'll stop there. Uh, I've had just about enough of Joe Walsh trashing President Trump and trashing uh, uh, every single thing he says about the FBI. If the FBI is doing bad things, the FBI deserves to be critiqued and criticized Joe Walsh. I've heard just about enough. Um 
All right. Having said all of that, um, I want to. And by the way, if you want to get in before we're done, like John and Chardon just called in, I'll get you on here. I got six minutes for you. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five. But I also want to share this with you real quick. A follow up to the first hour in which we were talking about Sharia Talib and um, uh, Ilhan Omar. Um, Nancy Pelosi defending Sharia Tlaib's anti-Israel, anti-Semitic uh, uh, Holocaust, almost Holocaust denying, not exactly denying, but but you know Holocaust, uh, Holocaust. Um, uh, I can't find the right word here, but essentially lying or or, or expressing uh, some some untruths about uh, what happened after the Holocaust with respect to Palestinians and Jews. But anyway, it goes further than that. Pelosi criticized those who criticized Tlaib. Pelosi last week went even further. Nancy Pelosi invited an anti-Israel Muslim imam to deliver uh, an opening prayer, to deliver the noon prayer at the House of Representatives last week. Simply ridiculous. And Representative Lee Zeldin of New York on Sunday um, had had his say. Either the Speaker's office did not vet this imam at all, or worse, they did vet the imam and then decided it would would be okay for this imam to come to the floor of the House of Representatives anyway. It's a bad call to have this person. Horrible judgment. And after the 2019 that we've seen so far, where members of their own caucus are pushing anti-Semitism and anti-Israel hate, this was just bad judgment. The imam in question is Omar Suleiman of Irving, Texas. He was introduced by Pelosi, who apparently is now just working full-on for the Muslim Brotherhood, full-on for CARE, full-on for Hamas, and full-on in the pockets of the female women of color, the the POCs, uh, specifically as they refer to themselves, Omar, uh, Ilhan Omar and uh, Sharia Tlaib. Uh, in 2017, Suleiman had posted an image on social media supporting the Muslim Brotherhood. In 20, supporting them in 2013, and posted on Facebook and Twitter during the 2014 conflict between Israel and Hamas, quote, God willing, on this blessed night, as the third intifada begins, the beginning of the end of Zionism is here. May Allah help us overcome this monster, protect the innocent of the world, and accept the murdered as martyrs, end quote. The following year, this Muslim Brotherhood terrorist supporter, Suleiman, shared a video purporting to show conflicts between Palestinians and Israeli soldiers with the comment, Want to know what it's like to live under Nazis? Look no further than how the Palestinians are treated daily by apartheid Israel. Sickening. End quote. That post was accompanied by the hashtag BDS, Boycott of S. Sanction. This is who Nancy Pelosi invited to the, to, to the floor of the House of Representatives to deliver a noon prayer. I, I'm not kidding you. As Zeldin said, let's just say all you found was that he compares Israel to the Nazis. That would be enough to tell you that a member of Congress or other members of the Democrat caucus, how about you find another imam if you must have an imam give the opening prayer? But comparing Israel to terrorists? Calling for and inciting violence, calling for a third Palestinian intifada, or the posts on social media supporting the Brotherhood? As that list goes further on, it's just a terribly bad call to have this person. But now we know who Nancy Pelosi is working for. John and Chardon. Go ahead, John. Thanks for waiting. You're on the air. Hey, Bob. Yeah, I had a call in earlier, but when you have Peter Kersenero on, I become a riveted listener. Yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> okay. Islamic terrorism 
the, the Islamic terrorist portion of Islam is a violent, totalitarian, bigoted, fascist political ideology masquerading as a religion, where the long-term objective is total word, world domination and, and con- control. And your friend Claire Lopez, vice president for this uh, security, Se- Se- policy security center, policy, yeah. Yeah, she's uh, she's a good reference point for for what's going on. We need to sound the alarm pretty regularly on this uh, stuff. You know, it's a great point that you bring up, uh, and it's a great name that you bring up too. I have not had Claire on for a couple of weeks or maybe a few weeks. I'm going to have to bring her on to get her to speak to uh, Sharia um, uh, Sharia Talib and. Uh, and Ilhan Omar, as well as this uh, Suleiman that uh, Nancy Pelosi brought to the table as well, because this is, you're right, you're 100% right, uh, John. Uh, we do need to sound the, the clarion call, if you will, sound the alarm again and again and again, because otherwise it's going to continue. That's called civilization jihad and leadership in um, uh, positions of uh, elect, you know, elected office are, are extraordinarily important in that, in that effort. Tom in Independence. Hi, Tom, you're on the air. Go ahead, sir. Hey, Bob, I just want to say you do a great job day-to-day, along with Salem Radio Network. But that Thank Walsh you. at nighttime, I've about had enough of him, too. I can't even bear to listen to him anymore. It is just horrible. Well, so, you know, I, I hate to say that about a fellow talk show host, too. And, you know, he can he can dismiss me with, uh, you know, with extreme pre- prejudice if he wants. He's on the national, uh, uh, you know, stage. He's He's got a syndicated program. I've only got a local program here in Cleveland, so Joe Walsh can just dismiss me with the back of his hand if he wants to. But I will tell you this, I like to promote all of the Salem programs, and I fill in on a lot of them, including Prager and Elder and Hewitt. And I'll tell you this, I have just had enough of Joe Walsh's anti-Trump nonsense. Now, I criticize Trump for things from time to time. But he calls him an immoral president, unjust, this, that, and the other thing. And I've had just about enough of him as well. I will not promote that particular broadcast. All right, thanks for the call. Thanks to everybody. Great stuff today. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Enjoy Bye-bye. Enjoy the silence. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.